Welcome to Formative, the show where today's leaders are interviewed by the leaders of tomorrow. Season five of Formative is brought to you by the generous support of Macy's Inc., whose purpose is to create a brighter future with bold representation from underrepresented youth so we can realize the full potential of every one of us. Today we've got Bob Knackle. Bob is a senior managing director and head of New York private capital group for JLL. He's had a hand in the sale of thousands of buildings in New York City. I'm looking forward to hearing all about how he got into real estate. Hello and welcome. I'm Rachel Gazdick, CEO of New York Edge, and my co-host today is Caesar from MS664K. Caesar, why don't you tell us about yourself? I'm Caesar. I'm 13 years old. I'm in B's Exploration Environmental School. I'm going to high school next year. One thing about myself is I'm a good person. I treat people well. And that I hope that I could make the world a better place. Great. Well, Caesar, I'm looking forward to chatting with you. Thank you so much for being on the show, Bob. Can you give us a little overview of who you are and what you do? Sure. I am a commercial real estate investment sales broker, which means that I sell buildings in New York City. All kinds of buildings, although the majority of the buildings that I sell are apartment buildings. I also sell development sites where uh, a developer will buy the buildings, knock them down, and build big new buildings on that land. And I've been doing that for 39 years, so I've been doing it for quite a while. Wow. Thanks so much, Bob. So let's get started. Take it away, Caesar. All right. So one of my questions is, does or did your family support you becoming a real estate owner? Well, I'm not an owner. I'm a broker. So what I do is, you know, people who own buildings that want to sell them, they will come to me and hire me to market them to try to find a buyer. So I don't own properties. I'm just kind of a middleman that a seller will come to me like, let's say, that Caesar, you owned a building and you wanted to sell it, you'd come to me and say, hey, Bob, find a buyer for me that'll pay a high price. You'd hire me to represent you. And I'd go out to the market and market it, try to sell it, get the best price I possibly could. Were my folks supportive of that? Well, my dad was a high school principal and my mom was a housewife. And I think my dad really liked the fact that he got a salary check every week or two. And being on commission, which is what I was right from the beginning, he thought was a little risky. But I think, you know, he saw how much I loved the business and uh, supported me. So I was fortunate that he supported my willingness or desire to get into a business with no salary, just working on commission. And at the end of the day, that worked out. What inspired you to do your job? What inspired me to do my job? Well, I have to tell you something. I have a very interesting background in that uh, nothing really inspired me to do my job. I found my job completely by accident. And so one of the things that I tell young people when I talk to them is to keep an open mind about what you might want to do when you grow up because something might come your way that you weren't expecting at all. I went to college at the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania. And Wharton is very famous for producing folks who want to go work on Wall Street. 
And I thought I wanted to go work on Wall Street also, but I figured over spring break my freshman year that I would drive around northern New Jersey, which is where I grew up, dropping my resume off at every commercial bank and investment bank that I saw, trying to get a summer job that would look good on my resume, and went into the commercial banks, investment banks, and I was in Hackensack, New Jersey, came out of a Payne Weber office, which was an investment bank, and across the hall I saw Coldwell Banker. Well, unbeknownst to me, Coldwell Banker, which sounds like a bank, was actually a real estate company. They were the only ones hiring college kids for the summer. I took the job, absolutely loved it, went back my next two summers, and then when I got out of school in 1984, I started with CB in Manhattan. It really was complete luck that I went into this place thinking it was a bank and it was a real estate company. I took the job and surprise, I absolutely loved it and developed an interest in it because I knew I had interest in real estate right from that first job. I took some real estate classes my next three years in college and knew that I wanted to get into real estate. So it was something that happened as a, a lucky mistake on my part. When and how did you learn you were in the right place of, in your career? You're making me think a lot, which is kind of cool. Um, how did I know it was the right thing? I, I guess it it occurred to me, you know, I think for the first seven or eight months when I started my job full time in 1984, I worked every day, seven days a week. And I remember talking to my dad and my dad said to me, Bobby, you know, you going into the city every Saturday and Sunday. And I said, is this job supposed to be a seven day a week thing? And I hadn't even really thought about it, but, you know, it had been seven or eight months and I worked every day, seven days a week, and I didn't feel like I was working. And I guess that when that realization hit me that, you know what, I have been going in every day and it doesn't feel like I'm working. This is really fun. I'm really enjoying this. And I think that was the moment that I said, you know what, this is the right thing for me. And, you know, I feel very lucky that real estate for me is not only my job, but it's my hobby. The only thing I love more than real estate is my wife and my daughter. If they were going to go away on a girl's weekend somewhere and I was home alone, I'd work all weekend. I just really love it. And if you can find a job that you love that much, you're very, very lucky. Was it hard to become a real estate broker? Like, did you struggle with like becoming one? No, I, I think, you know, to become a real estate broker, you just have to pass a licensing test. And the licensing test is not that difficult. You take classes, and then you have to pass a state exam. It's not that difficult to pass that state exam. So becoming a broker is not that difficult. To be a successful broker can be difficult. It requires a lot of hard work, a lot of discipline, and you have to really take the time to learn the business and to become an expert at it because the better you are at one particular thing, the more value you have to your clients. To do anything is not that hard, but to do anything really well takes hard work. Like I don't know if, you know, like playing sports, I don't know if you play sports, but you know, if you want to be really, really good, if you're on the baseball team or the football team or the basketball team and you want to be one of the leaders on the team, you have to work really hard. You have to practice extra. You have to, in your spare time, work on getting better. 
And it's the same way in real estate or any other business. You get out of it what you put into it. You know, if you're a baseball player and you want to be a good hitter, you have to take extra batting practice. And the more batting practice you take, the better hitter you're going to be. And it's the same way in business. What was the best memory you had so far? Work-wise, you mean? Yeah, work-wise. I would say probably selling the first building that I sold, which was back in 1985. We sold a building in 1421 Third Avenue. The price was $3,180,000. My share of that commission was $12,500, I remember. And I felt like I was the richest guy in New York when that deal closed. And of course, that's not that much money in the scheme of things, but to me, it was everything. And it was kind of like the first feeling I had when I got my first exam back and my first Econ 101 exam in college. You know, I was nervous going to the Wharton School at such a great reputation and so many famous and successful people had gone there. I said, am I really going to be able to do this? Am I going to pass? And I got my first Econ 101 test back and I got a B and I just felt so relieved. I'm like, wow, I can really do this. I might be able to make it through college in the same way. The first building that I sold made me feel like, wow, not only am I getting all this money, which again, wasn't that much money in the scheme of things at the time, but it, it was a feeling of, wow, okay, I, I've successfully sold a building. I can do this now. Let me go get the next one. And so I think of all the memories, I think that one is one that I will certainly never forget because it was a validation that, you know, even though I'm, you know, I'm a kid from Jersey, I'm in, in the big city all of a sudden and uh, didn't know whether I was going to be able to make it or not and close that first deal and just it felt so great. You know, I'll never forget that feeling. What advice would you give someone my age if they want to start um, brokerage? Brokering? Yeah, well, you know what? I think what I tell all young people is if you think real estate might be a field that you want to get into, I try to find out as much about it as possible. I would read a lot, read real estate publications like The Real Deal or The Commercial Observer, Cranes as a section on real estate, the New York Real Estate Journal, The Man Report, the Real Estate Weekly. There, there are so many real estate publications in New York that I would read about it and see what seems really interesting to you. One of the things that I tell people is that you should pick a job because you really love it, you have passion for it, not because you think you're going to make a lot of money doing it. Because I had a lot of friends I went to college with that went to go work on Wall Street because they thought they'd make a lot of money. And they worked for three, four, five years, got burnt out. Now, a lot of them are not in, in, in Wall Street or the financial markets anymore. So I'd say see what you find very, very interesting that you think is cool, that you uh, you have passion for. And if you have passion for something, you're going to work really, really hard at it. And if you work really, really hard at something, you increase the chances that you're going to do really well and get to the top of that industry. And in business, if you're one of the top people in just about any area of business, any type of business, you're probably going to make a lot of money. 
So I think it's you you pick a job not because you think you can make a lot of money doing it. Pick a job because you love it. You love doing that. And that passion for the business, that love for the business is going to make you work really hard. And working really hard is a very important factor in determining how successful you're going to be in the future. Um, what was the best advice you've ever heard? Yeah, best advice. And that's that's a great question. I think the best advice that I ever got was from Steve Siegel, chairman of Global Brokerage at CBRE. And Steve told me always to read everything that I could possibly read about real estate to become more knowledgeable. That was a great piece of advice. And you know, I'll always remember that. What's the best piece of advice that you've ever gotten, Caesar? The advice that you just gave me saying, to do your job because you because you enjoy it, not because it will make you a lot of money. Right. Because you know what? If you do really, really well, the money's going to come. Is there any time in your life where you challenge yourself and feel like you had to give up in the work and in your life? Well, there, there's always times. I have to tell you that I think everyone in life, no matter how good you are, how smart you are, how hard you work. And, you know, everybody faces tough times and there are challenges all the time. Nothing is ever easy. And I always say, you know, sometimes my wife says to me, wow, you're working so hard and, you know, is everything okay? And I always say, look, if it was easy, everybody would do it. And, you know, it's like, that's like any business. If anything was easy, everybody would do it. So we all have challenges and hard times, you know, clearly when, the economy is not doing well, it becomes challenging in real estate. <clears throat> now, what we're going through now is my fourth downturn. First was the savings and loan crisis in the early 90s. And then there was another recession in the early 2000s, the great financial crisis in 08, 09. And now what we're going through now, but those times are challenging. I started my company in 1988. We almost went bankrupt in 1990. Almost went bankrupt again in, in 1992. You know, there have been tough times, but you just, you do the best you can. I think the important thing is to keep a positive mental attitude, believe in yourself, have courage, know that things will get better, continue to work hard, always treat people well. I believe that the way you treat people is the way you'll get treated. And so always do the right thing whether everybody will know you did it or nobody will know you did it, always do the right thing. And I think that is a, a formula for success long-term. Well, what do you want your legacy to be? No, what do I want my legacy to be? Well, I worked at CB for four years and then I left there and started a company called Massey Knackle with my partner, Paul Massey. We grew that business from just the two of us and a secretary to over 250 employees in four offices in New York, starting in 2002, when the CoStar Group started to track it through 2014, when we sold the business, we had sold more than three times the number of properties as the number two firm in town. And I think what I would like my legacy to be is that we created a great culture, a great environment where we implemented a very unique business approach to real estate. Uh, we taught a lot of people the business. 
Uh, although we sold the company back in 2014, there are nine real estate brokerage companies that are either owned by or run by ex-Massinacle people. And I think that the reason that we were so successful is that we we did things a little differently. We made a real estate sales brokerage a business that was done in a more institutional way. We routinely would co-broke with other brokers. We routinely would market properties very broadly. And some people credit us with changing the way business was done, particularly in the middle market space. And so we had a great company culture and you know, people at our firm really liked each other, worked hard together, played hard together, became friends. You know, one of our employees would get married and there'd be dozens of people from the company at the wedding. And so we created a great culture, a great environment, changed the way business was done here. And I still, I feel very lucky because although I got into the business by accident, it's something that I, I loved from the moment I started it. And it's still a business that I love tremendously. I still I'm a broker at so selling buildings here. And, you know, I want to continue to do that for the foreseeable future. What other place would you be a brokerage at? Like if it was in New York, what other place would you rather be like doing that type of job? Yeah, well, you know, that's a good question too. I think, you know, for my entire career up until about 2020, New York was really a great dominant place. And I think for a variety of reasons. It is having some challenges though, not the least of which are politicians who make policy that we have to operate within. And that policy is making New York less attractive than other places. So I would say uh, right now, Florida is a market that is doing really well. Nice weather down there all the time. Texas is a market that's doing well. Tennessee is a market that's doing well. Basically, if you look at states in the United States where the state income tax is 3% or less, those are the states that seem to be doing really well economically. Populations growing, things are positive. And the states where state income taxes are higher are falling behind. So, you know, if I had to go broker somewhere else, it probably would be Florida, but I'm staying put in New York. I love New York. I think it's the greatest city in the world. I'm staying in New York and will continue to do so. Oh, that's good. If you weren't a broker, what do you think you would be doing right now? Oh gosh, I have no idea. I've been doing this for so long and love it so much that I have no idea what I would do. I mean, obviously I would love to be the general manager of a baseball team or a hockey team, but I don't have a skill set for that and probably wouldn't be very good at it, but that would be kind of a dream job. But, you know, I've never given any serious thought to doing anything other than being a real estate broker. So I, I really don't have a great answer for you. In your free time, what do you do for fun? Okay. Well, I don't have a lot of free time because I, four things eat up most of my time. I'm either working with my wife and daughter in the gym exercising so I can stay healthy or I'm at church. And so between those four things, there's not a lot of other free time. 
I try to spend some time with friends, but most of my friends are in the real estate business. You know, I like to play golf a little bit. I don't play nearly as much as I would like to. I like to play tennis. If I'm playing tennis, most of the time, that's just my daughter. Sophie's 14. I guess my favorite thing to do non-work related is probably to be at my country house in the woods in Connecticut. And I love to be there with my family. You know, that's probably my most fun thing to do when I'm not in the office working. When you do have free time, do you ever wish that you were working at the time? Or like when you are working, do you ever feel like you wanted free time? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, one of the most difficult things in life is to find a balance between work and non-work time. And I think that balance is really different for everybody. Some people, especially when they're younger, they work a real lot. And then, you know, personal time takes a back seat. And you have to find the right balance because you have to not only work, but you have to be with your family and people that you love and care about. You have to be with your friends. You have to take care of yourself physically. So it's important to get to the gym and stay in good health, eat right, uh, try to get sleep, you know, and be faithful to your faith. Go to church, synagogue, whatever you practice your faith. I think that's important. I think that the balance is different for everybody. It's really challenging to find that right balance. And the balance is different for every single person. But you have to try to uh, make sure you're spending time addressing all the different things that you need to address. And sometimes you just may need a day and say, hey, I'm just not going to work today. I'm going to spend the day with my family. Or, hey, you know what? I haven't worked out in a few days. I have to get to the gym today. And, you know, we only have so much time in a day. So you have to prioritize the things that are important to you and try to make sure you keep things in the best balance that you possibly can. If you're working and then you barely have any free time, how do you prioritize the things that are important to you? Well, I think it's just by by always being cognizant of what the things are that you need to do. I think writing things down is also a great way to do it. I'm always writing down lists of things that I need to do. And generally every Sunday, I spend some time making up a list of things that I need to do that week. You know, when I'm sitting at my desk trying to sell buildings, I'm working in my business. But then on the weekends, I'll take time working on my business where I say, oh, well, I really should be doing more of this and less of that. And you kind of look at it from afar. I think in the same way, every day we're living our life, right? You're doing your schoolwork, you're hanging out with friends, you're going to the park to recreate, and you're kind of in the middle of everything. You're not really thinking of it from 30,000 feet, but you may want to, on the weekend, say, okay, well, what do I want to do this week? Well, I want to practice my saxophone or I want to you know, shoot 400 free throws or whatever it is. I got to make sure I do that. I haven't seen my cousin in, you know, in a month. Think about it proactively, intentionally think about the things that you want to spend time on. I find that if you just, you know, wake up in the morning and then say, well, let's figure out what I'm going to do today, you have a busy schedule. And especially when you get into working, you're just reacting to a lot of stuff all day. And if you're not thinking about what you want to do, where you want to get to, the things you want to accomplish, it's very easy to let time pass and not get where you want to get to. So we call it proactive thinking. So 
You want to be proactive about how you're spending your time, making sure you're devoting time to each of the things that you want to get done. And that's hard. That's not easy. That takes work. That takes sitting down and figuring out, you know, all right, when are you going to do your homework? When are you going to get your exercise in? When are you going to see your friends? When are you going to spend time with your family? All these different things, you have to really think about it. Otherwise, before you know it, the day is gone and you didn't get done the things you want to get done. That was my last question. Well, thank you so much, Bob. And thank you, Caesar. It was fun watching you guys get to know each other. So, Bob, there's one question we ask all our guests at the end of the show. Knowing what you know now, what advice would you give to your 13-year-old self? Oh, my gosh. Well, a couple of things. One, when I was 13, social media didn't exist. But one thing I've told my own daughter when she was 13 was be cognizant of the fact that anything that you send in an email, send in a text, leave a voicemail message, these things are going to be discoverable 10 years, 20 years, 50 years from now. That I think, unfortunately, for your generation, Caesar, that you have no privacy anymore. So anything that you write, you should pretend it's going to be on the front page of the newspaper because somebody's going to see it. But that is something that I think, you know, if I could tell my 13-year-old self with today's circumstances, I would tell myself to be very, very careful about the way you interact with people because it might seem like a cool thing to do or something that's funny or something like that. But, you know, I feel bad for the presidential candidates 20 and 30 years from now because somebody's going to come up and say, look, in, when you were eight years old, you sent this text message and you called this person this bad name. And how could you say that? And the world is going to be so crazy because there's going to be a record of every single thing you ever said or did or wrote to somebody. And I think that is terrible, but it's an absolute reality of the way the world is. So I think that's my one piece of advice for someone 13 is just be mindful of the fact that these interchanges you have with your friends are the things you videotape on your phone and take pictures of and send texts and all this other stuff. That's going to be around forever and ever. So just be mindful of that, you know, and try to minimize the things that could come back to hurt you at some point in the future. Well, thank you both. Caesar, do you have any advice to leave us with? My advice is treat others how you want to be treated, I guess. But also, I like Bob's advice that to think about what you write. I'm actually thinking about that. Great. Okay. Well, Caesar, you did a great job. I think maybe you have a future in television or broadcasting or radio or something like that. But uh, thank you. That, that was great. You did a great job. And uh, I applaud you for that. Thanks so much. All right. Take good care. Thanks for listening to Formative, a production of New York Edge. I'm your host, Rachel Gastic. My co-host today was Caesar from MS664K in Brooklyn. He was assisted by Terry. Season five of Formative is brought to you by the generous support of Macy's Inc. Our production partner for this series is Citizen Race Car. This episode was produced by Tasha A.F. Lemley. Post-production by Alex Brower. Original music by Garrett Tiedemann. 
Production management by Gabriella Montekin. Thanks to the whole team here at New York Edge for making this series possible. Never miss an episode of Formative by subscribing to the series at newyorkedge.org slash formative or wherever you get your podcasts.